awesome, man. So actually, uh, we've been uh, uh, wanting to study the book of Leviticus for a few Wednesdays now, but it's like I keep on, something keeps on coming up, or really the, the Lord has put other, other messages in my, in my heart uh, in between Exodus and Leviticus, but tonight we're going to start the, the book of Leviticus. Now, if you're not familiar with Leviticus, Leviticus is usually the book that if you're reading through the Bible, it's usually the one that you skip because of just all the, just uh, uh, a lot of uh, repetition, a lot of things that kind of seem like they're not applicable to, to us today, especially like in our walks in the Lord. And so that's the book, the book of Leviticus. But really, uh, we see that, 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 that there's a lot in it that uh, we can uh, learn from, that there's a lot in it that we could apply to our personal walks uh, with the Lord, even being New Testament believers. And so just a small introduction into the book of Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible. It's the, it's the third book in the, in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all written by Moses. Uh, the Talmud, which is uh, the Jewish writings, they call Leviticus uh, the law of the priests because really it, it, it derives its name from, the, from, from who it's, it's written to, which is the Levitical priesthood. And so... We see that the book of Leviticus is actually a continuation of the book of Exodus. Uh, because as we finish the book of Exodus, we see that, that, that the book of Exodus ends with the glory of God dwelling in the tabernacle. And we're told that, that it was just, that the glory of God just filled the tabernacle so much that Moses couldn't even go inside. All the other times where, where Moses was invited to go into the tabernacle and to, and to fellowship with God, but the book of Exodus ends with the glory of God filling the tabernacle so much that even Moses couldn't approach. And the book of Leviticus uh, starts or begins with, uh, if, you know, if you notice there, it says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, All right. And so Exodus ends with God in the tabernacle, and Leviticus begins with God speaking to Moses from the tabernacle. So it's really a continuation. And so uh, we see that, uh, that 20 of the 27 chapters of the book of Leviticus begin with the phrase, and the Lord said to Moses. And so it's actually a total of 56 times that that phrase comes up. And so we see that this is uh, something given specifically, uh, uh, directly to Moses. And it was instructions for the priesthood. It was instructions uh, for the people. Uh, and it was instructions on, on how the people were to approach God. And so interesting that, that with the instructions here in Leviticus, the priest can now lead the people, the people of Israel, in worship unto the Lord. I mean, they've been in, in, in bondage to Egypt for about 400 years. They didn't have a, a physical place to come and worship God like we do here at the church. Right? We know that God is omnipresent. We can worship Him whether you're at work, at school, on the road, uh, in traffic, or here in this place. But for them, you know, they didn't have an actual physical place to worship God for all that time. And so this is the first time now after 400 years that now the, the presence of God is really there in the midst of the people. Right, they've been in the midst of Egypt with all these uh, uh, pagan gods, pagan uh, 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 all these idolatry all around them, right? Pagan priests, and they've seen Egyptians worship their pagan gods, but they weren't able to to worship and sacrifice to their own god this whole time. And now this is finally the time, you know, where now they can worship and sacrifice to the Lord God Almighty. But we're going to see that God's going to give them specific instructions as to how they were to worship Him and the things that they were to sacrifice to Him. And so now uh, the Levitical priesthood is going to have instructions and in, in leading the people of Israel in the appropriate worship unto the Lord. Now, interesting that, that Jesus made uh, a reference to the book of Leviticus uh, some 40 times, some 40 different times. Um, they're in Matthew, they're in, uh, mainly in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 8, chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 19, and so on. And so we see that it's a book that the Lord taught from, and it's referenced more even uh, uh, in the rest of the New Testament. And so one of the themes in the book of Leviticus, if I could say probably the main theme of the book of Leviticus is the holiness of God. It focuses on the holiness of God and uh, the holiness of God's people as they approach Him. Now that word holiness, it gets just, over time, it's been so lost. I mean, the true meaning of the word holiness has been lost, right? And sometimes when you think of holiness, specifically in the church, I mean, as, or this is what I think of when I think about holiness, or at least I used to. I think about someone in a suit, maybe with a long dress, or something covering their heads or their faces, or talking a different way, preaching a certain way, acting a certain way. I mean, all these things, right? That, that like The formal, physical, outward appearance of what holiness is supposed to be like. You're not supposed to listen to this type of music. You're not supposed to watch this type of show. You're not supposed to, you know, all these different things that, 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 uh, that fall under the umbrella of holiness now that have nothing to do with the true biblical holiness of God. And so holiness, according to the Bible, is really just this set-apartness. Set-apartness, right? God has set us apart. We're his own special people, Peter will say later on, uh, that, he, that he has set apart for himself. And that's what the word holiness means, really set-apart, right? And um, it's set apart specifically by the Lord, right? The Bible says that the Sabbath day was to be holy. Why? Because not because there, there was anything special in that day specifically, but because God set that day apart for the people, therefore it became holy. And so we see that, uh, again, that the book of Leviticus deals with the worship and the walk of Israel with Jehovah through sacrificial offerings uh, in the midst of this, this pagan idol-worshiping world. They had Egypt, they had uh, uh, the Amalekites, they had Moab, they had all these different people groups all around them that, that were worshiping their own gods, uh, some in some very like uh, uh, disgusting ways. I'm not going to get too into it, but you know, you know, maybe we'll, we'll talk about it later on in the book as, as it addresses it. But the children of Israel were familiar with God worship, but just these false gods. And so as the nations around them would worship their own gods, their own false pagan gods, and they would do it in these disgusting uh, ways. And so now God is going to give them instructions on how they should worship the one true God, and that is worship and holiness. And so interesting that if you ever read the book of Hebrews, which I encourage you to, especially if you're going to go through Leviticus, uh, the book of Hebrews is the New Testament commentary to the book of Leviticus. And so Hebrews makes it a little bit more applicable as we just read through Leviticus and see all these different laws and offerings and instructions. The book of Hebrews is like the, the, the New Testament commentary to Leviticus, and it gives us the fulfillment of all these things in Leviticus. We see that God didn't give them all these things just to, all right, you know, I got to give you a bunch of rules and regulations, but really they were all pointing to Christ, which is the fulfillment of every single one of these offerings, every single one of these uh, laws, every single one of these uh, requirements. Christ is the fulfillment of all these. And so just a little interesting uh, side study if you'd like to, to go through the book of Hebrews along with uh, Leviticus. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, jump right into Leviticus chapter 1. It says, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, meaning of all the animals, of the herd and of the flock. Interesting that the Lord, notice that the Lord calls to Moses from the tabernacle. And again, here they have now the presence of God dwelling in their midst, right? Interesting that, that, that the book of Leviticus was actually written somewhere in between Exodus and Numbers, 
And so if you remember in the book of Exodus, uh, God called up to Moses and he said, all right, come to Mount Sinai and let me talk to you again now for the second time because the first time Moses went up there and the children of Israel, as Moses was up there talking to God, they began to uh, worship this, this calf made of, made of gold that Aaron made for him, Moses' brother. And so God said, God had to cut their conversation short. And he said, Moses, get down there because the people are going crazy. And so now this is the second time that God calls to Moses, all right, Moses, come back up here. And, and so we had this kind of break in between. And it was actually written over a period of about a month. And so while the children of Israel were down at the bottom of Mount Sinai, Moses was up here at the mountain with, with God receiving all these instructions. And so God calls to Moses now from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. Now this was important for the people to know because, again, they were familiar with, with, with offering sacrifices to God, or at least to God's with the lower case G. Again, they had seen the Egyptians do it. They were watching the, the nations around them offer sacrifices to, to their pagan gods. Now, some of the sacrifices that, that all these other uh, uh, people groups were offering to their pagan gods were things like their own children. Uh, the people around them were, were mainly worshiping this god, which is a god by the name of Moloch. You know, one of the arche uh, archaeologists have, have dug up these little statues of Moloch, right? These little brass or, 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 or iron statues with a little handout like this. And it was this little statue that they would heat up like, till it was like burning red hot. And the people, you know, they would uh, uh, worship their pagan gods by, by uh, um, getting familiar with each other they, with the temple prostitutes. And then as, they would, you know, as a, a pregnancy would come by it, when the child was born, they would offer into these little burning hot hands of Moloch. And so they were off, offering life, you know, human life to, to, to their pagan gods. And so the children of Israel were familiar with sacrificing to God. And God says, look, man, when you worship me, when you sacrifice them to me, he says, you're not going to do all that stuff that the rest of the people are doing. He says, but you're going to offer, he says, you're going to sacrifice of the livestock, of the herds and of your flocks, meaning, you know, of the, all the cattle, of all the sheep, all the goats. And he says in verse, in three, verse 3, he says, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, then let him, let him offer him a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. He says, then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. And so as God is giving them instructions as to what type of animal they're to bring, right, whenever they come in to worship God, he says, look, man, don't offer me your babies, don't offer me any of the stuff that the pagan people are, are offering their own uh, uh, little false gods. But he says, offer me, he says, bring it and offer something from the herd, right, an oxen, a, a goat, a, a cow, all these different things, a bull. And he says, let it be without blemish, meaning it has to be perfect, right? The, guy, the people weren't supposed to go to their herds and say, all right, let me see, this one's kind of limping, this one's, you know, God only misses missing an eye, this one, his ears cut off, this one's whatever, all right, I'll give, him, I'll give God this one. No, but they were to offer God the best of their herds or the best of their livestock. God didn't want roadkill, God didn't want, you know, some uh, uh, deformed animal, God wanted perfection, right? And it was something, that, again, that God was establishing amongst the people that when you offer to me, he says, offer me uh, this animal that is without blemish, meaning that is perfect, spotless. Oftentimes they would, they would, uh, they would specifically set aside the animals that they were going to worship to God later on. And they would take care of them. They would bring them into their own homes. They would feed them themselves. They would make sure that these animals didn't get hurt because when it came time to offer it to the Lord, they wanted it to be perfect. And notice what God says also. He says, it has to be without blemish. I mean, it has to be perfect. But also, that person has to offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. 
And so notice that the offering that the Lord accepts is an offering from your own free will. Right? That's something that hasn't changed. Whether we're talking about financially or we're talking about time and service or whatever it is that you're going to offer to the Lord. Right? He says, hey, let it be of your own free will or else just keep it. Right? So many times, like, man, ministries will pressure people into giving money. You got to give this much. You got to give this much or else you're in sin or this, whatever. Right? And the people are like, oh, man, they're hurting and they're kind of giving financially and they're like, oh, man, I really need to pay the rent, but I want to honor God first. And I mean, man, uh, that's up to them. Right? But, it, but it, if, if somebody is pressuring them to give, then it's no longer of their own free will. Right? If someone's pressuring you to give your time, if someone's pressuring you to give your service, finances, whatever it may be, and it's no longer of your own free will, God doesn't accept it. He says, man, just keep it. Just keep it. Right? Because God looks at the heart. And so notice that he didn't require them to come and bring these offerings, but he says, whoever is willing. Hey, man, if someone feels like, you know what, man, I'm just messing up. I've been messing up. I'm in sin. I want to get right with the Lord. They would go and they would offer up this free will offering unto the Lord. And he says, more than that, again, there in verse 4, it says, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. And so as the person was, was to bring their animal, whether it was a bull or a goat or whatever it was, as they were to bring this offering, as they brought this offering from his own free will, we're told that he, would, he was to put his hand on the offering before he offered it, right? and then he would offer it. And, that, and, and this animal would, would take the place of the person right, as it was being burnt up as an offering. Now the whole thing about putting this, his hand on the head of it, what's going on is that as the person would go and, and give his bull, for example, Right, without blemish, that he took care of, spotless, perfect. As he would put the, his head, his hand on the head of the, of the of the of the sacrifice of the offering, he was identifying with the offering. It's like he was saying, "This is what I deserve, but he's going to die in my place, so he's taking my place here. I'm identifying with him." Right? He would put his hand on his forehead. Look, he's taking my place. What I deserve. Right? And they would offer this thing and and, and burn it up unto the Lord. And so. We're told that this offering again will now take his place. And so it goes on to say in verse 5, it says, He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The son of, Aaron's, of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in, in order on the fire. Then the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, on, the, parts the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails, its legs with water, and the priest shall burn on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, which is a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And so as they were to bring this offering, right, he places his head, it has to be without blemish. They would, one, they would cut it up in, up in pieces, they would gather all the blood, and the priest would sprinkle the blood all over the tabernacle. Now, sometimes we read right through this, and, and, it, and if you're kind of, you know, you have an illustrative mind like, like I do, and you're reading it, you kinda, it just kind of plays out in your head like a movie. Think about this. I mean, here are not just 10, 20, or 100 people. There are millions of people, right? At least 2 million families. And, and, if, and if every single family brought an offering for the household, they would have a little over 2 million uh, of these animals that, that would be brought up into the altar to be sacrificed. It would be a bloodbath. Right, these priests would be chopping, right? They're like butchers, pretty much. They'd be chopping up these animals all day long as the people were bringing them. They'd be uh, uh, gathering the blood, sprinkling the blood. I mean, they would 
they would be covered in blood, right? It was, some, it was something uh, dirty, it was something ugly, it was something uh, gruesome. It wasn't something pretty and something nice to look at, right? It's not like, like church now we come, all right, I'm going to bring my offering to the Lord and oh, look, I, be, I believe and that's it. I know it was something uh, uh, bloody, it was a bloodbath. The people later on were told that, that, the, that the priests were to sprinkle some of the blood also on the people, right? As they were to sprinkle it on, on the altar, man, the thing would have been just drenched in blood. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. I'm only saying because Halloween's coming up, but that old movie Carrie, right? And then they they do the thing, and right, she's covered in 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 pig's blood. I mean, man, that's what that's what I picture in my head. You know that the that the priest would look like they'd just be covered in blood. Of course, it wouldn't be pig's blood because it would be unclean, but they would just be covered in blood. Right by the end of the day, imagine having to kill these animals, about two million of them in one day. Man, they'd be drenched, and so it would be a bloodbath. It wasn't something uh, pleasant to look at. Is what I'm trying to say. Right? And so that was their job all day long. And so it goes on to say there in verse 10, it says, And if his offering is of the flocks of the sheep of the goats, or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. It says, He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the lords and the priests, Aaron's sons, and he shall sprinkle it, its blood all around the altar. And he shall cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water, and then the priest shall bring it, bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And so, to and what was gruesome, what was bloody to the priest and to the people, to the Lord was a sweet-smelling aroma, as it would burn it up. Right, the sacrifice, this blood being shed. To them it was bloody, to them it was gruesome, to them it was painful, probably even to hear the animal scream. I don't know if you ever heard uh, like a pig when they cut its neck, or a, cows don't really move when they you cut its neck, but a pig specifically, when, when you kill it, it squeals like crazy. It like traumatizes you. And this was their job, right, all day long. But it says that to the Lord, it was a sweet-smelling aroma. Why was it a sweet-smelling aroma? Because through that, their sin was covered for a moment, and now they could approach God. And so this fellowship between them and God was restored. This fellowship between a holy God and a sinful humanity was restored for a moment as these animals were being sacrificed. And when fellowship was restored, it was sweet. It was sweet unto the Lord. It was like a sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord when fellowship with His people was restored. Now notice what it says in verse 14. It says, And if the burnt sacrifice of His offering to the Lord is of birds, then He shall bring His offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar. Uh, he should wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar, and he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar of the east side into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet-smelling aroma, to the Lord now. Again, this isn't something nice to, to, to picture, right? But for really what was being described here is now a different type of burnt sacrifice. Now, God at first, you know, told them, right, it's to be of the herds, it's to be of the livestock, and it's to be of the flock. But then he gives them a different type of sacrifice. He says, if the burnt sacrifice of his offering of the Lord is of birds, then he has to be a turtle dove or a young pigeon. Now, this is actually a, a, a sacrifice, uh, a different type of sacrifice that, that was offered to the poor, to those who were impoverished, 
man, if you weren't wealthy enough to own a, a cattle or to own a bull, to own, own a, a, a herds or flocks or goats or sheep or any of these things, if you just didn't have the money, if you were in debt, if you were just, you couldn't afford it, right? You live, you work for someone else, whatever it may be. I mean, God didn't exclude them, right? God included everyone. And so he, he, he included this sacrifice for the poor person, pretty much. That's what it is, a sacrifice for the poor person, right? And so these people, even though they didn't have herds, they could go out there and they could catch a nice dove or they could catch a, 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 a turtle dove or a pigeon, whatever it may be, right? They could catch a good one and all right, this one's good, I could offer this. Right? It wasn't meant to cost them anything financially. And so it was, it was a sacrifice for the poor person. And so notice that the Lord, again, he's including everybody. But one thing I love about this, again, as this, as this, as this sacrifice was a mark of poverty. Notice what it says there in Luke chapter 2, as I turn there. And you're familiar with the story when, uh, when Jesus was born. We're told this in, in Luke chapter 2. That when Jesus was born, he was presented at the temple. After the days of purification were completed according to the law of Moses, we're told that, that, uh, that he was uh, brought to the temple, that he was presented at the temple. Right? He wasn't baptized as a child, but he was, he was presented at the temple, which is why we present children instead of, of, of baptizing. We, we, we follow the, 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 the example that the Lord gave us. And so Jesus was presented at the temple, but for every single Jew, as they were pre- to present their children at the temple... They were also to bring an offering unto the Lord, a bull, a goat, a, a sheep, uh, whatever it may be. But again, remember the, those offerings for, for the impoverished people, for the poor people. Now it says this in Luke 2.22, it says, Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, talking about Mary, it says they brought him, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. It says, Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And verse 24 says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so we're told that, that when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to present him before the Lord and to offer a sacrifice for him to the Lord, what did they bring? It wasn't a goat. It wasn't a bull. It wasn't a cow. It wasn't a sheep. It wasn't a, anything that they could afford. right? But they, they brought a pair of turtle doves, meaning that, man, they were poor. Right, they were going through it. They had left home. They were on the run. Right, they were. I mean, Jesus was born in, in, in a stable, and so when they came and they and they and they offered a sacrifice for, for for Jesus' birth, right, it was a pair of turtle doves. It was the poor man's sacrifice, and I love this because here is baby Jesus, the King of the world, God incarnate, God in human flesh, God the Son taking on human form, born on the earth, and yet the people that he was born to were poor, you know, and he grew up poor, right? Joseph was just a carpenter, and, and so poor that, that even when, when he went in and, and, uh, and they offered sacrifice for him, it was the poor man's sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves, right? I love this about the Lord because he came to the common people first. He came for everybody, but Jesus came to the common people, right? He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born in, you know, a castle. He wasn't born in this huge temple, made out of gold or anything. He was born in a stable with animals. And then when sacrifice was offered for him, it was a sacrifice of, 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 of two turtle doves. And the Lord is, is so amazing that he would come and he would really stoop down to the lowest of our levels. I mean, he stooped down to our levels by taking on humanity, right? The, the, the form of just a of sinful man, even though he didn't sin. 
But yet, even further than that, I mean, he took he took it even even further than that, and he came down to like the lowest of the low of our level, right? He was born to a poor family, grew up in a poor neighborhood, right? He was of Nazareth. Remember in the Gospel of John when 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 Andrew went to go get his brother Nathaniel, and he said, "Hey, man, we found the Messiah. He's of Nazareth." And he said, "Nazareth? You thought anything good come from Nazareth?" I mean, like, yeah, right, man. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. That's like the hood. That's like where no one wants to be from, right? There's nothing good can come from, can come from that. You're saying the Messiah came from there? Yeah, Jesus came again to to our level. I mean, I mean, really to our level. And so, interesting again, there in Luke chapter twenty, uh, chapter two, verse twenty-two again, as uh, as Mary and Joseph they came and they brought this this offering of of turtle doves. And so it goes on to say, uh, there in chapter two now. It says, when anyone offers a grain offering, so now chapter 1 focuses on the burnt offering, which is offering of an animal, but chapter 2 is going to focus now on the grain offering. I mean, that's going to be a, a, an offering of, of flour um, and uh, just different types of grains. But interesting that in chapter 1, before we go on to, to chapter 2, uh, as the Lord cover all these different types of sacrifices, right, animals, again, they, the animal was to be without blemish. It was to be spotless. Meaning when they brought the animal, the priest's job was to inspect it, like, man, all around. Check its hooves, check its, check its legs, check its ears, its neck, the back, everything, right? It couldn't be, it had to be spotless. It had to be without blemish. It had to be literally perfect. They would offer this animal in, in the place of the person, right? And now that, person, that animal would take his place for his sins. Interesting that, notice that, 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 that the one that was getting inspected was the animal and not the person. The animal had to be perfect, but the person bringing the animal was imperfect and he wasn't inspected. Right? And this is just a perfect picture of the Lord Jesus. Again, during the book of Hebrews, it, as it brings all these different laws and sacrificial systems and to completion and it points to Christ. Christ took our place. He was that perfect offering for us. And just as the people would go and they were all loaded down with sins, they were off of this animal, the priest would inspect the animal, right? It's perfect. It's, accept, it's acceptable. The person was all messed up. The animal was perfect, but the person didn't get inspected. And so for us, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God. He took our place on the cross as our perfect sacrifice, right? And it's because of His blood that was shed, and now we're acceptable. The Bible says, accepted, accepted in the Beloved. Mean that we're now accepted in the presence of God, right? The moment that we place our faith in Jesus, God sees us as washed, as cleansed, as sinless. It doesn't mean that we are sinless because we still mess up. If you guys have been walking with the Lord for a amount of time, we know we still mess up, right? I give my life to the Lord, what, like, a little over 10 years ago, something like that. And just like 2013, we're around that time. And it's like, man, I still mess up. I'm right here pastoring and teaching, and I still mess up all the time, right? But the Lord doesn't see my sins. He doesn't see my mistakes. He sees me for the righteousness of Christ, right? He no longer inspects me. Just like the person that was coming to offer the sacrifice didn't get inspected, but instead the offering was inspected. All right, perfect. Boom. You pass. All right. It's accepted. So us, when we come to the Lord, hey, the Lord sees us now for the righteousness of Christ. And the righteousness of Christ is imputed on us now, Right? We're going through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings. We just started it. We're in chapter 5. And one of the things that Paul says as he's just breaking down, you know, what Jesus did in our place and why 
the sacrifice of Jesus is complete and there's no, no need to keep the law anymore, no need for circumcision and all these things. He says, and through that, we have peace now with God. Why? Because God doesn't see us for our sins anymore. He sees us as righteous, the righteousness of Christ. He took our place on that cross. That's it. Even though we still mess up, even though we still fall short every single day, even though we feel like junk, right? God doesn't see us as junk, right? He sees us as his poema, his masterpiece. And so, interesting that, uh, again, the whole Old Testament, the whole Bible speaks about Christ. Every single bit of it, right? It all leads to Christ. We see this, this uh, idea of an animal dying to cover the sins of a person from the very beginning. Then the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, we have actually the first time, the first mention of an animal dying to cover someone's sins. And that was the sins of, of Adam and Eve. Notice what it says there in Genesis 3, chapter 2. It was right after uh, Adam and Eve had sinned. Uh, they, they ate of the forbidden fruit that they weren't supposed to. Right? The Bible tells us that before that, that they were naked and they were unashamed. Right? They would just have fellowship with God. They would walk in the garden. They were naked. Again, they didn't know they were naked because they were innocent. They were innocent to sin. But the moment they sinned, their eyes were open. And all of a sudden, oh, we got to hide ourselves because we're naked. God's walking in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Not that he didn't know where Adam was, but he wanted Adam to say, man, I messed up, Lord. Then God asked him, did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to? Right? And God knew already, but he wanted Adam to confess his sin. It goes on to say that uh, Adam and Eve confessed that we're naked. God says, how did you know you were naked? And he said, well, we ate of the tree, right? Uh, the, the, the serpent deceived us. And so we're told this in verse 21 of chapter 3. It says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin, and he clothed them. And so because Adam and Eve were naked, their, their eyes were opened now to their shame because they have sinned. Right now, all of a sudden, it's a shameful thing. They're hiding their shame from God. And what does God do? God clothes them with tunics of skin. Now, God, there was no other people on the earth, right? So it wasn't human skin. It was animal skin, meaning that God had to kill an animal. God himself had to kill an animal, skin the animal, and clothe Adam and Eve with the skin of this animal. Now, this is the first recorded death. The first death wasn't of Adam and Eve and, or, 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 or Abel. No, the first recorded death was this animal that we don't know its name or, who, or what kind of animal it was. I'm guessing it was probably a sheep. Right, a lamb. I don't know. But the first recorded death in the Bible is the animal that had to die in order for its skin to be made a covering for Adam and Eve because of their sin. Right? And so even from the very beginning, we have this uh, foreshadowing of Christ. Right? This would have been a traumatizing thing for Adam and Eve to see. I mean, at this point, death doesn't exist. They've never seen an animal die and they've never seen an animal suffer. Now all of a sudden they realize, man, we messed up. We sinned against God. We're, we're, we're clothed in shame. God has to clothe us now with, uh, with, with animal skins. And they're watching this animal die in front of their eyes. It would have been traumatizing. They spent time with these animals. Adam named these animals, right? He knew them personally. Now all of a sudden he sees a little innocent animal die in order for, for him to be clothed, for him and his wife to be clothed. It would have been a traumatizing thing. And so that's actually the first mention of an animal dying to take the place or to clothe the individual. Right, and we see that this kind of just uh, this mirrors throughout the Old Testament, and eventually it's perfected in Christ, because He is now our last covering. Right, uh, Romans chapter five, the the portion we're going to get going to get into on Sunday morning, talks about uh, Jesus. 
the last Adam, meaning that, hey, Jesus was the last sacrificial, it was the last sacrifice that the God had to make for us, right? Because he was that perfect sacrifice. And so going on now in chapter 2, talking about the grain offering, it says, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord of his offering, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it, and put frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's, Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from, from it his handful of fine flour and oil with, with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy, it is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And so now, as these different type of offerings were described, the second offering that, that is described for us here in the book of Leviticus is the grain offering. And we're told that if anybody brought a grain offering, it was to be a fine flour, right? It wasn't to be the throwaways. It was to be the best of the best. And they were to pour oil on it. And they were also to put frankincense on it. So it was supposed to be this, uh, it probably smelled great, right? Probably smelled very pleasant as they brought it to the Lord. And we're told that the priest would burn it on the altar unto the Lord. But notice what it says. It says that all the leftover of the grain, it says that the leftover, the rest of the grain, in verse 3, says, shall be Aaron's and his son's. Later on, we'd, uh, we would, uh, we're going to see how, how the, the Levitical priesthood, right? They weren't allowed to go take on regular jobs. They weren't allowed to go make money somewhere else. They weren't allowed to have a little side hustle. They were to live off the offerings. When the people brought an offering unto the Lord, uh, right, they were cut up into pieces. They, were, they would offer God the best part and the rest. They would keep, right, to eat, to feed their families. They couldn't go and work because their life was dedicated completely to the Lord. But God told them, look, I've, I've set aside a portion specifically for the priests, because they can't go out and, and work jobs, nine to fives, and do all this, he says, look, I'm going to take care of my people. Right. Later on in the book of Joshua, as Moses is distributing the, the, the lots of land to every single one of the tribes, we're told that for the tribe of Levi, for the priesthood, it says that they didn't get any land. All the other tribes got land. I'd be like, upset. I'm like, Lord, I want land. Mm. Right? But, but the Bible tells us that the, that the Levitical uh, uh, tribe, that, that they didn't get any land. But it says this, that God says, for the Lord, their God will be their inheritance. For the rest of the people, they got land allotted to them. That was their inheritance. But for the tribe of Levi, is that they, had, they got the Lord, their God, as their inheritance. I think hearing that would have made them think, man, well, God endures forever. God is eternal. This land was eventually, I mean, they never even possessed, the rest of the tribes, they never even possessed all the land that God gave them. It was inhabited by, uh, by other people groups most of their lives. But yet, the Levitical priesthood, right? They inherited the presence of God. They were uh, uh, God's spokespersons, God's priests, God's uh, ministers among the people for as long as they lived. Right? They got to see God's presence. They got to go into the, the tabernacle. They got to uh, sacrifice for the people. They got to you know, pray for the people and minister on behalf of the Lord. It was amazing. I think it's, it, it, was more, uh, it, it was worth more than any piece of land that they could have received. And so here too, as they weren't allowed to go work, because their life was supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. God says, look, I'm going to take care of you. And for us too, we all work nine to fives. Every single one of us, I do. My back's all messed up. Right? But the Lord says more than that. He says, hey, don't worry about the rest. I'm going to take care of you. God, all these bills are piling up. I'm going to take care of you. God, this, this, that, and the other. I'm going to take care of you. God, my car broke down, this, that, the other. Hey, focus on me. Because I'm going to take care of you. Jesus said this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says, and all these things, all these other things will be what? Added unto you. 
as all the disciples and all the multitudes that would follow him, right? They would say, Lord, well, what about us? We left our, our houses. We left our jobs. I was a great fisherman. We left our families. We left our wives, our kids to follow you. What about us? Jesus goes on to say again, look at the fields. Look at the lilies in the field. He says, look, he says, uh, God clothes the fields with lilies. Right? He says, man, Solomon wasn't even clothed as beautiful as these hills were. And that's when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else. What else? Our families, our jobs, our finances, this, that, the other. He says, all these things will be added unto you. That's one thing that I've seen in my personal life as, just, as I've just dedicated my life to serve the Lord in whatever capacity. I mean, I'm not just talking about this. Right? But this happened way before. As I just dedicated my life to serve the Lord. Lord, however you want to use me, my life is yours. That's taking care of us. Right? I could for sure say that one of the names that God has always shown himself, he's shown himself in, in, in many different ways in my life. But one of his names that I've seen most in my life is Jehovah Jireh, provider. Right? And it's like, man, God has always provided against all odds. And he's brought me to a point where I don't say that I don't doubt at all, but he's brought me to a point in my life where I have more than enough proof to trust God's providence in my life. Yeah, I, I, I waver, but God always brings it back to the Lord. He says, look, I've been faithful in the past. Remember this time? Remember this time? I'm like, yeah, Lord. Remember that time? I'm like, yeah, Lord. He's like, what about that time? Remember that time? I'm like, yeah, Lord. That one, was, that one was crazy. And God says, look, I'm going to continue to provide for you. Right? So of all the names that, 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 that God calls himself, calls himself by, you know, provider, Jehovah Jireh, is one that he's kind of established, sealed, carved into my heart. I'm your provider. All right, Lord. And so for the priests, as they, as they were to dedicate their lives to the Lord, God would provide for them through the people's sacrifice. And you, as you, maybe you're not a priest, maybe you're not of the tribe of Levi, but the same principle applies. As you dedicate your life to serving God. So many of us say, oh, I'll work first, got to make money, i got to buy a couple houses, this and that, then I'll serve God once I'm already settled in. Look, I just got to give God all my time. And God says it's the other way around, right? God's economy doesn't work the way the world economy does. Interesting enough, right? God says, "Hey, it's we walk by faith, not by what we see." And so they were to devote their lives, and God would take care of them—not just them, but their families also. And that's an encouragement for all of us tonight. And so He goes on to say there in verse four: "says And if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes." a fine flour mixed with oil, or unleavened wafers that were anointed with oil. Says, but if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it as a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And if you bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord, and when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And what is left on the grain offering shall be what? It shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And then it says, No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. Interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus will say the Pharisees, Oh, he would tell his followers, he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he goes on to call them out for being hypocrites. He's like, hey, he says, they, he says, listen to what they, to what they teach and, and do what they teach, but don't do what they do. Because they speak good things, but they themselves don't keep them. 
right? He says, beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees. And so uh, Jesus would liken leaven to sin. And he would, he would say, it only takes a little bit of leaven, with le which leaven is yeast. And he says, hey, and so as the people were to bring their offering, it would be with no yeast in it, right? Because then it would begin to rise and, and puff up like this. And Jesus would say, hey, beware of the, of the leaven, of the yeast of the Pharisees. Because it only takes a little bit of their, hypo uh, of their hypocrisy. It only takes a little bit of their, you know, of their falseness to corrupt, to corrupt you, right? You're taking a little bit of what they're doing. It's going to corrupt your whole walk. So Jesus said, well, so beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And so Jesus would, le would liken leaven to sin. And just about every single other place in the Bible, when you see leaven, right, uh, God, is, God is, is, is calling for the leaven to be taken out, or to be put aside, to not be included in any sacrifice. Why? Because that leaven represents sin. That also takes just a little bit. You, I hear people say all the time, right, pastors, people, Christians, whatever, they use this term, oh, this guy's dabbling in this, or dabbling in this sin, or dabbling in other sin. And really, there's no, I mean, I, I personally think there's no such thing as dabbling in sin. When we think about dabbling, it makes it kind of it kind of minimizes. Oh, he's just dabbling in it. He's not full on sinning. He's just kind of dabbling. He's just he's just putting his feet in it like this with his toes. Not even his whole foot. He's just putting his toes in it, just dabbling in it. And really, God would say, "Hey, I want no part of it, right? Just take out every all the leaven. Just not even a little bit. Just take it all out. The no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire." Because it's representative of sin. And so anything that we bring to the Lord in our sin, God doesn't want it. God doesn't want it. Now, we're sinful creatures, but because we're in Christ, and we bring to the Lord, it's, 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 it's under the blood. It's covered by the blood. Right? It's made perfect by Christ. So it goes on to say in verse 12, and we'll finish the rest of the chapter, it says, As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, for they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet, for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your, your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of green roasted on the fire, grain beans from the, from the full heads, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its being grain and part of its oil, with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Just notice how he says there in uh, verse 13. He says, you bring, you know, your offering, he says, let it be seasoned with salt. He says, with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Right? Salt is this preserving, uh, it's preserving, it has this preserving effect on it. Jesus would say in the New Testament, he says, hey, you're the salt of the earth. He says, you're the salt of the world. Right? Salt is to have this preserving effect on whatever it's put on. Back then, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have, you know, coolers or ice chests that they could carry their meat. And, all right, we'll just go sacrifice to the Lord. No, but they were to pour salt on it to, to preserve it, to, to preserve the meat. And so, really, uh, it's supposed to have this preserving effect, right, a satisfying effect. And God says, look, when you bring your offering, let it be with salt. Let it be preserved specifically for me. Not something that, oh, it's time to go sacrifice to God. Uh, let me see no, but he says, look, think about it ahead of time. Even Paul would say this in, in 1 Corinthians, that he's talking about the offering. Right? He says, look, uh, uh, don't bring a tithe no more. That's a New Testament thing. It's, uh, tithe is an Old Testament thing. But he says, as you bring your offering to the Lord at church, he says, let it be something that you predetermined in your heart before you got there. Right? Something that, is, uh, that was already preserved specifically for God. 
That's what God is saying. He says, look, before you bring this thing, let it be seasoned in the salt. Let it be prepared beforehand. Meaning, let, it be, let, let you already be determined in your heart that you're going to give this to the Lord. Don't let it be something haphazardly or something on the fly. Oh, I'll just give him this. So like this. No, but God today, let it be something that you determine in your heart that you're going to give to God. God will appreciate that. And again, I says there, uh, verse 16 again, Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil, with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. And as, as, so as they were to worship and use all these different spices, frankincense, uh, it would just release this odor into the air as all these things were being offered unto the Lord. And it was just something pleasant. Yeah, it was gruesome to look at. Yeah, it was bloody. Yeah, it, all these, it was all these things. But more than anything, it was pleasant. It smelled pleasant, right? It was pleasant to the worshiper, and it was pleasant to the Lord, right? And really, that's what our offering to the Lord is, pleasant, whenever it's given out of a pure heart. Amen? Father, thank you so much, Lord, for uh, just these couple of chapters that we were able to go through, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would just, uh, Lord, draw closer to you in our worship. Help us to worship you, Lord, uh, how you called us in John chapter 3, in spirit and in truth. I thank you that we don't have to keep all these different offerings and keep track of them all, Lord. Uh, I thank you that, that, that Lord, that, that, that you, you accept that, the sacrifice of our hearts and the offering of a pure heart, and that's it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that, Lord, for just simplifying it for it, Lord, and just thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who was just that ultimate sacrifice for us. I pray you would just bless everyone here tonight, Lord, help us to be refreshed in you, Lord. Uh, help us to get good rest and good sleep tonight, Lord, and to just uh, be refreshed in you tomorrow morning, Lord. I, Lord, we just praise you, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.